Hello, everyone. You're listening to the 805 Uncensored, a podcast hosted by two leftists recorded on occupied Chumash land. This podcast covers a variety of topics from music to politics, news, and philosophy, issues both in the 805 and ones affecting the 805. There are no limits, which is why we are uncensored. So welcome, and please follow us on your podcast and social media platforms of choice. On this episode, we have two brand new guests. We have Audra and we have Mark. I'll have both of you just kind of briefly introduce yourselves because I want I don't want to sell you short. So we'll start with you, Audra, and then we'll go to you, Mark. Okay. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me today. So my name is Audra White, and I'm an American and also a Dutch dual national. And I live currently just south of Amsterdam in a city called Delft. Um, and I have lived abroad for the last 18, 19 years. And I left America um, in 2005, really kind of seeking for the American dream abroad. And I found that in social democratic Holland. So um, I've been here for quite some time. Um, I found your podcast via word of mouth from a friend of mine. So I'm so happy to be here and find other people that are talking about some of the same topics that I'm talking about with my friends over here in Europe. And um, hi, Jordan. Um, hi, Heather. Uh, great to be here, Mark Watts. Um, I'm based in Brussels, which is the uh, self-proclaimed capital of Europe. Um, and I've been here basically um, since I got elected uh, to political office um, as what we call a member of the European Parliament for uh, 10 years for, for what's called the uh, Socialist and Democratic Group, uh, which represents most of the Labour, Socialist and Social Democratic parties across the uh, EU. Um, I'm sort of in exile at the moment because I'm originally from London. And as you know, the, uh, the UK, in their wisdom, decided a few years ago to leave the club and leave the EU and go their own sweet way. Um, but I just decided to stay behind and fight the good fight for a, a free, democratic, internationalist, outward-looking and just and fair Europe. And that's what I've been doing ever since I got elected here. I'm, I'm, I did 10 years in the parliament. Now I'm a private citizen, but hopefully continuing to inspire people, particularly young people, to get involved in, in European politics and, and fight the good fight for, um, for a better society. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Uh, really excited about the conversation. We're going to talk about a variety of topics. Um, but the first thing that I want to dive into is, Audra, just generally your experience as a U.S. expat. What has it been like growing up in the United States, particularly in a conservative-leaning area, and then moving abroad and then just being able to analyze that from an international perspective. Yeah, so um, I come from a small town in the southwest corner of Missouri, and it's right on the Oklahoma-Kansas-Arkansas borders. So I grew up in what we call the four-state area. Um, and we had a big cultural influence there that was Native American as much as our own Southwest Missourian culture and flavor of the Ozarks is basically is, is that little section of America. So it was a life and a childhood that was full in nature and everybody was friendly and it was kind of the small town America feeling. <clears throat> and 
I always knew from a young age that I wanted to travel and to um, see other lands and live in other cultures. So for me, leaving small town America um, felt very natural. So the moment that I graduated from college, I made the decision and I moved to Denver, Colorado, where I lived for quite some years before migrating to Europe. So even when I had taken the ch uh, the, ch the chance to move to Europe, I was thinking that I would return back to America someday. And, you know, it was, it was always my homeland. And then as I settled more and more in Holland and um, had more exposure to different cultures and different nationalities and different people, I decided that it didn't feel right to go back to America. And that's when I started to notice the changes. And this was about probably 10 years ago. It was while Obama was still in office and I started seeing cultural differences where I was getting on top of my bills and my life and I was building my white picket fence and the American dream was coming true for me and I didn't have to pay very much in health insurance. And yet my friends were having to take two and three side jobs and hustles on, on the side of their careers. My friends that were school teachers were having to quit because they could no longer teach the curriculum that they were taught to teach and or they were dealing with abusive parents and or abusive administrators. So it's like the list goes on, you know, like families of five with three children, they couldn't even afford their health insurance. All of a sudden, college tuition became super expensive. So I started comparing these things and I was talking to my then at the time husband and we were like, I don't think we could ever actually afford to live in America. That's insane. You know, we had just gotten so used to a, a different way to live. But then it was about the time that Trump was in election about a year in where I could see some of the trends that Americans had become comfortable with starting to kind of infiltrate into Holland. And what was happening was like this over sensationalized way of living that was starting to really infiltrate the European lifestyle. And the Europeans, they really know how to work to live. They, they work hard at wanting to live. In America, it's in the reverse. You know, we're living to work. And, and as a child of an entrepreneur, I have eight mothers and fathers, and a lot of them were actually owning their own business. Um, one of them was a union guy, so I really have the respect and the quality of working and earning a living and doing your best. So it's not like I just want to freeload off of the government, but at the same time, I started to notice the equality and these polarities in the American lifestyle versus the, the European lifestyle. And I was thinking, what has gone wrong? So that's a little bit of the bird's eye view of understanding that the American dream, I just don't think it's possible anymore. And we really start to um, unfoil some of the plots where we see the big amount of dysfunction that we have in our culture as America and how that now starts to set the tone where USA, USA used to be the superpower of the world. And now this is the legacy that we're leaving I mean, come on, we've got to change this around. So it, it's already very evident to me that our democracy has failed us, but that's not just on an American terms. This is happening everywhere. It's happening 
worldwide. And it really ties into a, a deeper theme of this global fascism that's building and this need for conservatism um, and capitalism that's kind of run riot. Really well said. Um, I just to talk about the time period of 2016 and Mark, you had kind of just briefly touched on Brexit. I'd like to talk about some of your initial impressions of the election of Trump in 2016, what some of the causes of that you think might have been, and then what were your initial reactions to Brexit, um, specifically with regards to the UK's response to the Syrian refugee crisis? Yeah, sure. Well, re really good uh, questions, Jordan. And they are indeed, they're, they're both linked. Um, I think the, the the election of Trump really took us all by surprise. I mean, that's I think there's there's, there's also was carrying on from what Audra said a big detachment, not just in terms of values and mindset uh, between Europe and the and the US, but there's a real detachment in terms of even what's going on day to day. I'm sure that's true the other way around as well. So a lot of people just were not following US politics. So when no one could believe the Americans would vote for Trump, yeah, I mean we all thought would Hillary would win that we were looking at the polls, maybe reinforcing that message, ignoring the polls we didn't seem to like, um, and took us by surprise. And I think uh, we were horrified then, just as we're horrified now, that the fact that he might be re-elected again. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think it was a, it was shock and horror. And um, his behavior in office actually proved us to be right. We had every reason to be shocked and horrified by the prospect of Trump, because even, even the right of European politics is pretty scared of Trump, yeah. And you've only got to look at what's going on now on the continent. We're, we're essentially at war with Russia um, and what he's been up to the last couple of days in terms of uh, assassinating uh, po political dissidents who are in prison. You know, it's a very raw issue here uh, in much of Europe. So when Trump, as he said the other day, well, you know, he should invade parts of Europe, shouldn't he? Yeah. You know, what he's saying now shocked us as it just shocked us in 2016. But I think the problem is the challenge for us here in Europe is that we feel helpless. We really feel helpless. Uh, and I think that the, the point that Audra made and, 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 and I make is that we shouldn't feel helpless because actually we are all in this together. We have a common struggle. And I know it's a cliche, but we are stronger together. Progressives, leftists, anti-Trumpsters, you know, call, call us what you will. Those that want a decent society for ordinary people, we've got to start working together. And, you know, that Atlantic gap, which there is between the left in Europe, Europe and the left in US, um, I think we pay a heavy price for that, that we don't work more closely together. I mean, I, I mean, I think we should actually ask the question, why is the left in the US and the left in the EU almost two separate families? You know, I mean, we don't even get together for Christmas. And that's, that's you know, unlike the right, who are, mu and the capitalists, of course, who are much better uh, internationally organized. I mean, there's no left-wing Davos, is there? Um, you know, why, 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 and that's, that's really one of my critiques of the left, that we're not a very good family. Um, as I said, we don't even get together once or twice a year, and it would really empower us if the left internationally, I mean, we claim we're internationalists, yeah, if we acted in a bit more of an international way, you know, we're supposed to believe in breaking down barriers to people well, we should practice more of what we preach. I did a little bit in my day. I didn't do enough. And I, I regret that now I didn't make more visits to the U.S. to build links with progressives on on, the, on that continent. Uh, but it's never too late. As for Brexit, you asked me about 
that i mean i think that's just the same phenomena i mean i won't go into U uk politics but that's about that was about fear it was primarily about racism um it was lack of confidence by the british people in their future destiny post empire which they've never reconciled um, it was nothing to do with the eu in my view as a proxy election about migration and you mentioned that the syrian crisis germany taking in uh, millions the uk not taking in that many um, I've knocked on doors. That's how we campaign in the UK. As you probably know, we literally knock on every door in every street. Gives you an amazing feel of how wonderful many people are, but how evil a lot of people are too. Um, and and, you, and you, you could tell on the doorsteps, the issue was not that they wanted to leave Europe, but they didn't want any more migrants in the UK. That was the uh, that was what that vote, in my view, was all about. And if I, as, as, a, as a third generation migrant into the UK, point out the most UK citizens are third, fourth, fifth, or first, second generation. We're, it's an island of migrants, yeah. If I point that out to them, you know, uh, it, it, it just raises lots of contradictions and, uh, you know, it, does, it doesn't actually help because, um, as I said, we haven't reconciled our, our destiny as a country because we haven't come to, come to terms with our past. It's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that the Brits have got to sort out. And what is our national identity as a country of migrants? Um, well, but we have the same problem. Yeah, I was going to say, we know all about that. <laughs> yeah, we, so we need some advice from you guys on how to sort ourselves out. But I think maybe, like I said, maybe you need advice from us because we haven't got all the answers. You know, we, as I said, we don't, when those people on the doorsteps that we need no, no more migrants and you can give them, and this is a key point I make to a lot of my uh, center and left wing friends, you can give them all the arguments, economic arguments you like, that Britain is better off because of migration. But that's not enough, yeah? People don't like people of difference. It's the difference, maybe the subconscious fear, um, you know, and we made the, and I'll just shut up now and conclude and let other people come in, but we, we made the mistake of fighting a campaign based on reason and evidence and facts and figures. And I fear the Democrats and others in America do the same. We try and battle against the right on evidence because that's the sort of people we are. And it doesn't work anymore. You know, and, and I, I, I make the point to a lot of my friends here, we doesn't mean we lie, we don't make things up like they do, but we've got to turn our facts into emotional arguments. Yep, indirect action. You know, getting into the yep. streets and facing the far right. And, you know, just to be clear, I understand that there are popular, you know, people that are not able to do that. They don't feel comfortable doing that whether they're women, whether they're people that have disabilities or they're LGBTQ people that just fear for violence in their lives. So, you know, that's not necessarily for everyone, but we need to counteract the far right in a variety of methods. And, and there's a role in the revolution for everyone, as I like to say. Well, I also think that like Jordan and I have talked about this, like the infighting on the left and like the amount of like in the US, we have so many like different factions of people like politically on the left. And even like, you know, you mentioned Democrats, like, I mean, I don't really even see them on the left anymore in the United States. A lot of them have moved so far to the right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like they're unrecognizable. And so I think that we have, you know, we have that as an issue too where like we're not just we're not just not organizing internationally we're not organizing within the u.s either or even locally just, even in people's yeah, own communities 
Yeah, everyone is just squabbling. I mean, Jordan and I did an episode about a month ago um, spilling tea on the local Democrats, and it was just it was just uh, all the drama and nonsense uh, that is that is going on that's preventing any kind of like meaningful progress and and, you know, formation of policy and electing, you know, good, solid candidates. And I and I think that that is going to play a major role in in Donald Trump's unfortunate uh, reelection, because I, I do think that that's, you know, a foregone conclusion at this point for, yeah. for all of those, unfortunately. I would agree, especially with Biden and his administration digging their heels in with the genocide in Gaza. Yeah. Let's let, let's kind of transition over to the media because I want to talk about how you guys see um, similarities and differences between media propaganda that's you know internationally based, that's also European based, versus um, purely U.S. media, because I, I think that that is significant. And, you know, of course, most of our listeners are based in the U.S., so I, I think that this is really important for them to listen to. So I'll kick us off. Um, story time. Have you guys seen the movie Idiocracy? Okay. So I don't know when that movie was um, released. I want to say 2006. Remember. 2006. Yes. Uh, okay. So I saw it probably in 2000, maybe. Yeah. 2006, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around 2014 ish. And at the time I was watching it, like just a few minutes in, I thought, okay, this is one of these slapstick comedy Saturday night live fever kind of humor things. And, and I thought the cast was great. Then I started picking up all the hidden meanings. And then I started to realize a few years down the road, oh my God, the U.S. elections have turned into that movie. This is what we're living. This is the reality. What is going on? And then I started to realize that the GOP basically had stuck their heels into getting a hold of Trump because they just needed a puppet. They just needed a hired actor. It, it was the same thing that they had done with Reagan in the eighties, where they hired this charismatic guy and put him in front of a public audience where he could be a hero. So it was happening again on a wider scale. So then I started to notice because a lot of my friends are, and family members are still sitting in the middle of America. These are my closest friends. So I started realizing that my Trump supporting friends were supporting this man based on cult-like membership. And I kept questioning what is going on, like with my friends and my family that I was just losing to Trumpism. And I kept flagging this to my left-leaning friends going, mayday, mayday, this is not good. This is going to end badly. And at the same time, I was also watching on um, an illegal pirating site that I was streaming The Handmaid's Tale, and it had just been released. And I was watching the first two seasons, and I'm going, holy shit, this is literally what's happening. Y'all, this was 2018 when I was putting these pieces together. And then I started to tap in because at that time, I stopped reading all of the major mainstream news sites just because I couldn't stand to have all of the, the headlines in, in my face. 
So by the time 2018 rolled around, I started picking up my news sources from social media and primarily with Instagram because it was less politics then. 2020, everything changed and then everything became political, of course. But it was about 2018. And then I started asking my friends who were Trump supporting voters, you know, where are you getting your news source from? Where are you getting your media? And a lot of that was cited via YouTube and other places on social media, mainly Facebook. And then I started noticing a general pattern with all of my boomer relatives and friends of the older generation that were also supporting Trump on their Facebook feeds. Like I, I noticed what they were sharing. It was Fox. It was really over sensationalized Tucker Carlson type stuff. It was um, propaganda. And, and I was thinking, how can I explain this to my friends and family member that they're being fed full of propaganda? And of course, we didn't know that at that point to the extent, you know, there was all sorts of evidence there and there was all sorts of Facebook went under fire. I guess it was in 2016 with their um, claims against Russia meddling into the affairs and so on and so forth. I mean, it was just a thing. So I started doing my own research on how social media started to just taint an audience by programming. And then I really stumped, jumped down the rabbit hole of George Orwell and was like, holy shit, this is happening. So I started waking up kind of it was around 2018. Yeah. So this media propaganda stuff, I mean, this this isn't new to us. We learned how to sway an audience a long time ago. And I remember when I was in the 80s learning about from my parents the duck and cover campaign of the oh, 50s yeah. where all the school children had to hide under their desks. And I was like, you know, wow, here we are. We've come full circle and we're repeating a World War II moment. And this, of course, it's not going to just be like, boom, atomic bomb somewhere. And now we're in an apocalypse, World War II. These things take years to build. Mm -hmm. So for me, my life kind of changed around 2014 because my job changed around that time. And this was around when Russia invaded Crimea. So that to me was like the start of World War III. And that was in 2014. Wasn't that right, Mark? Yeah, that was 2014. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So for me, all of these little little bitty occurrences, of course, they've led up to where we are and we've just hit a perfect storm. Mm. So it was like the tipping point. I was physically ill, had to call in sick to work the day that Trump got elected because I'm like, what's happened to my people? Have they really just been brainwashed? And then I started noticing every time I'd go home to visit to Missouri and, and witness what my family and friends were watching, it was just Fox News propaganda shit that's being fed. It's my crazy racist uncle who has a, a, a reading problem and needs to read all caps. And so his phone is like magnified. And then, of course, Trump is out there with his loud and shouty capitals cloudiness to our boomer generation, you know? So it's just like that. I think that these, the children of the fifties were so sensationalized by these characters of the wild, wild West and guns and robbers and cowboys and Indians, that this is now kind of what they've reduced their brain cells to absorbing is that level of sensation to be the leaders, to lead the free world. And I don't think that they realize that the, that's part of their sickness. 
Yeah, and just like, um, you know, I don't just classify boomer as a generation per se. I also classify it as a mentality, right? So I look at like a boomer mentality is like, oh, why are young people always complaining about how bad things are? You know, uh, it's really not that bad because I've personally done well and everybody that I know has done well. So like, what's the issue? Hmm. You know, I, I come across these TikToks all the time where it's funny, but it's also not funny because it's really sad. Uh, there's like a, you know, an old lady or whatever, and she's just like dancing. And it's like when, when boomers bought their house for 10 cents and a bag of peanuts, and then they sell it to a millennial for $3 million. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, that's a really good example, because I think the housing crisis is one of the biggest uh, societal crises we face. And yet it's the, one of the least discussed yeah. uh, by, by our politicians, our political classes. Uh, capitalism has definitely no answer for that. It's been the cause of that. You know, you need social housing, you need affordable housing, you need to democratize housing and house building and land ownership, all these things we never discuss. Uh, and yet that's really what's scaring uh, young people, uh, you know, including my, my, my children, uh, my friends' children. Uh, yeah, but my generation, as you say, it's our pensions. We want prices to go up because a lot of my friends have invested their money into into property and they, they you know, they're, they're, there's a conflict there and that's got to be got to be resolved and reconciled. But the, the, the system, and I make this point all the time, it's, it's a system failure, it's not a housing failure. The system is called capitalism, and that's what's failing. And us socialists and social democrats have got to deal not with the housing problem, but the capitalist problem, because that's the root cause of all this evil and all this division on all this strife, on all this injustice and all this unhappiness. And, and uh, the, 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 the scary parallels really are with the 30s when you know we went through another uh, social, economic, and political crisis too. And your question, Jordan, was originally about the media, but you know, media propaganda is nothing new in Europe. We had plenty of propaganda in the 1930s, uh, again on the back of capitalists who were quite happy to go to bed with the fascists um, and promote their evil creed uh, and credo. And we know what happened. I mean, the reason I'm an optimist is because we we can learn from history <laughs> and educate ourselves and stop it happening again. But it's not inevitable that we can stop it happening again. As you say, Jordan, we have to activate and agitate to stop it happening again. And, and as you say, there's a lot of complacency out there. Uh, there's a not enough action. And, and, and the other thing I would throw in as well, and this is the counterpoint to the propaganda of the media, um, and it's amplified, as Audrey said now, by the modern social media. What the left also fails to do, and I'm bitching a lot about the left tonight, I know, but uh, that's really what tonight's all about, I believe, is self-criticism. Um, what we're not very good anymore at doing is education. Yeah, We rely on the media and our education system and the state, or parents, family, to educate people, even educate ourselves. We rely on these news sources for information. I mean, mm-hmm. where the hell did that start to happen? You know, like, what, what, when do we lose... When do we stop on the left educating ourselves? When, when do we stop promoting the, the concept of critical thinking where we don't even believe our own leaders? As, as uh, Heather said, why, why should you believe the democratic leaders? Like, you know, the left should be about teaching not the history of the left or the right or capitalism, teaching critical thinking so people can find their own truth and their own way and become self-confident, independent individuals that can then contribute to a, a cohesive society based on the values that we we, we believe in. Um, so I think the 
Uh, again, 100 years ago, the UK Labour Party pioneered this the organisation called the Fabian Society that I became a member of, where the, the three uh, drivers was edu education, agitation and organisation. Uh, but we've forgotten that first one, that, 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 that the education bit on the left is pretty non-existent. Um, and I think that's, again, we can, we can say the root cause of the failure of society is capitalism, but the root cause of the failure of the left is our inability to, to foster a culture of education and critical thinking. Yeah, and that would be the antidote to, to, the, to the media propaganda. But if we are not given the tools to critically think for ourselves, then, yeah, we're just going to be the victims of this, uh, you know, stream of bullshit we get every day. Yeah, so you, you kind of briefly touched on socialism. I wanted to talk about socialism because I actually think that socialism is viewed vastly differently in the U.S. than it is in Europe. And not even just like democratic socialism, because that's that's one thing in itself, right? I'm talking about like actual socialism where the workers own the means of production. Um, people, Most people in the United States have no concept of what that even means. Um, and also there's, there's a racial element to it, right? So like when I, when I start to talk to somebody that, that leans right, that's relatively educated and kind of wants to learn more about the left and socialism and communism, uh, I, one of the arguments that they constantly throw out to me is, oh, well, you know, that only works in, in the Scandinavian countries because they're homogenized cultures. And it's just bullshit, you know. It's just it's just a tactic for the right to shut shut that down. And also, something that I think is really interesting is when you talk about communism, communism and socialism, and the general tendencies that are associated with those philosophies. And you don't mention the words whatsoever. <laughs> you just get you get nothing but agreement. Like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Maybe uh, maybe people probably shouldn't have to pay out of pocket for their health care. Maybe people should be able to send their kids to college for free and not go into permanent debt for the rest of their lives like yeah that sounds good i agree with that oh yeah that's that's kind of like a socialist system no 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 i don't agree with that <laughs> yeah i mean what's in the name um I, I, and to some extent socialism is going out of favor in europe as well i mean and you know again learning through history it's obviously was tainted by what they called socialism and communism in the soviet union which of course was not communism or socialism um it was it was a form of totalitarianism that you know these these clever people just uh you know decided to hijack a, a philosophy um it yep state capitalism call it what you will um i don't think i personally i don't think we've ever tried socialism anywhere in the world let's give it a go somewhere and then we can test it i don't think anyone's really tried socialism where the people run their own lives their own uh, their own communities, their own uh, enterprises. We've never really tried that. Scandinavia is as close as we get. In fact, they are quite pretty diverse societies. It's not true to say they're not diverse. They, there's, there's a lot of diversity in Scandinavia. Um, but much of Europe, I would say, is still socialist, yeah? The UK has a free health system. We don't pay a penny or a cent to go and see a doctor or get medical treatment. Same here in Belgium as well. There's a small fee, but it's a, it's a nationalized Mm -hmm. state-owned system and people wouldn't tolerate it any other way yeah um, many of our basic services are owned and run by the state um, i think where the socialists well, our socialists have, again failed to make the case is because we got lazy as well i think in the 50s as audra said uh, we, we got higher on our own uh, victories after the war that we allowed these state enterprises to be run by civil servants not by the workers or the consumers or the citizens uh, and to me socialism is about 
people running their own lives, their own communities, their own businesses. So we, we weren't radical enough and we're not radical enough now. I mean, we should start turning state enterprises into citizen run enterprises. You know, it's great that the railways in, in Europe are run by the state, but why aren't they run by the passengers and the drivers and the cleaners and uh, the infrastructure managers? You know, the, the people should generally democratically run these organizations. And where that does happen in parts of Europe, where there's democratic accountability, um, they actually work really, really well. We, we have a thing in the UK, which we don't trumpet enough, called cooperatives. Uh, these are you know, so, social organizations owned by the workers or by the, by the, the consumers. Um, and these entities work really, really well because everyone gets a fair deal. The consumer, uh, the worker, there are no bosses because everyone, if you like, is the boss. I'm a, I'm a member of a bank in the UK called the Co-op Bank. Um, and there's various shops in the UK, the Co-op shops. What a wonderful idea that is. I mean, okay, you know, that to me, that is that to me is socialism in practice, and that's what we should talk about. Um, and the other concept we should talk about, which again is about socialism, but we rarely get any chance to promote it, is this idea of solidarity. Um, I mean, the religious right claim to be the, the the people that want to help each other, which of course, unfortunately, is rarely the case. Uh, but socialism is really about helping each other. You know, the rich should help the poor. The, the strong should help the weak. Those with housing should help those with housing, without housing. Those that are, are healthy should help those that are not healthy. I mean, these are pretty basic human values that to me are really what socialism is all about. Uh, but again, we've got to educate people. I mean, just saying you should become a socialist, why should they believe us? We've got to educate them, get them to get, you know, go on that journey of critical thinking and get to that destination themselves. Right. I, I agree with all your points. I just think that we have like a really big outside force to deal with called the state, right? So like when we think about like socialism hasn't been tried, all kinds of countries have tried socialism. We always have a fucking US CIA led backed coup, oftentimes with the involvement of MI6, <laughs> that doesn't allow that to happen. Particularly, I mean, in Southeast Asia, you know, we could talk about Latin America, uh, Cuba comes to mind. As a country that could have been a beautiful socialist, ultimately um, communist country, but I I love oh, your point oh. about I love your point about the Soviet Union. I've never considered the Soviet Union socialist, much less communist. No. Fuck. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it was an authoritarian and, and, and regime. Much of the Middle East, I mean, like Iran, uh, you know, in fifties had a democratic government, socialist government in Iran. A lot of the problems we now find in Iran are caused by the coup led by the yeah. U.S. and the um, U.K in the 1950s and you know we are reaping the uh the, the sows of, of, of tyranny that we, we we sowed back back then yeah and uh yeah we you know we never gave these socialist regimes a chance i mean even in the uk you know we i think we had a brief period of socialism really after, after the war 1945 to 51 that, that did a lot to uh create a better society but but it's basically been uh you know, undermined from within ever since then um but as I said, you know, the hopeful thing is much, much of Europe, I would say, is still socialist. Yeah, I mean, it's only half-hearted socialism. Uh, but there's very few people on the right that would dare, as I said, to challenge the good things we have, which is broadly a free education system, broadly free healthcare. Uh, the idea that you know you have solidarity funds, that you have strong welfare policies. Um, you know, I know in Europe we bitch about all these things that they aren't good enough, which is true. But we still have a very, very strong uh, public realm, which on the whole works pretty well. Um, it's under threat. It's not good enough. 
it's got to be better. As I said, if you want a bit of socialism in action, that's why I think a lot of, a lot of Americans on the right despise the EU and a lot of European governments is because they are evidence that governments with a social conscience, with social justice at their heart, actually are quite successful. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna make a point, another point about socialism, but I, I just lost it about the far right. Maybe it will come back to me. Uh, Heather, well, do you have any I points? Add- yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Heather, you can speak first if you'd like. <laughs> okay, I just want to add. Um, you know, I've had these conversations so much in the past with my conservative family members, who you know basically have called me. Um, a stupid socialist because I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, The thing is, is that what happens in America, even though you have the EU, which is like the United States of Europe, I mean, when the EU was being built, it was really taken after America and how it was constitutionalized, institutionalized, that would be funny. So there is a little bit of flavor to it where the EU really took a lot of the the winning concepts that came from uniting the states. However, you still have all these different nationalities that are going to operate in a different flavor. So the polarity is always going to exist, but it needs to exist. That's what adds the, the attraction to the cultural references and diversity. In America, you have these polarities, and we sense that also here in Europe as well between both sides. The deal, the thing is, is that we keep fighting on both sides. We need to somehow, somehow come together in a more moderate place and be in a more neutral position. So the opposite of patriarch is not a matriarchal order. Matriarchal order is actually a very neutral place to be. We are here to neutralize, to alchemize, and to provide a container. That's why women are good, is because we are the container for a source of life. So what the threat is, is like this constant "Ah," over here and also on the other side of that, the pendulum is always going to swing, which is why we see, you know, we're operating from one extreme to the left. We need the pendulum to swing a little bit more slowly and then stay in the middle instead of doing all these 360s and all over the thing, all over the place. Um, the energetic split that that divides is something that is not just happening at, at deep state level or uh, within these conspiracy theories that are confusing everybody. It happens in our relationships. It happens individually. Like a lot of people are going through a high level of metamorphosis to get to that next level of evolution that we need to get through in order to get through these next few years of what humans are going to have to live through. So we need to, like we, meaning the collective, we need to really start advocating for human rights and equality on behalf of those that can't do that themselves. And we also need to kind of start throwing down the red flags to be like, look guys, we only have a couple more years until the biodiversity really just collapses and we no longer have a planet that's sustainable. So we have more viruses coming. We have a deeper recession that we're getting ready to head into. We've got wars that 
are about ready to escalate and become a lot more complicated. So now is the time where in late stage capitalism, we as the people still have a voice, but we have to kind of take that back and make sure that the democracy is heard. So I'm over here screaming and shouting, overthrow the constitution prior to this election to all of my American friends. And all of my American friends are like, but that's just not going to be possible. Okay, well then start now protesting. Everybody just quit going to work. Just stop your job and just <laughs> throw over your government. And I, I think we've already yes. talked about this too. Metaphysically, we've talked about this is the time period that Pluto is in Aquarius, and this was the French and the American Revolutionary Wars. So I'm really fired up about saying this is the moment that we really need to, as humanity, seize an opportunity to really reform and step into the 21st century like we're supposed to, not like we're stagnating. Right. And it's not well, a choice because of the ecological crisis. Sorry, that was just a quick point I wanted to make. Like, we don't have a choice. Yeah. And getting back to, like, your original point, though, about, like, media propaganda, like, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm running for office locally, and it's like I'm learning how the media is almost like they're manufacturing and, like, propagating this, this, extreme divide that you're talking about like like i'm in a nonpartisan race and the media is making it like a democrat versus republican thing and i'm like sitting here going no it's it's not a democrat versus this is like we need to be solving these issues like like you said in a more like slower more moderate like let's cool it down let's stop you know bickering about these like issues between you know the, on the extreme extreme ends and the media is pushing this you know battle you know rematch between the left and the right at the local level and it's like like what are you what the fuck are we doing here you know because like that doesn't solve like like the very serious and existential issues that we have facing us Right. I mean, like you just said, you know, the biodiversity of the planet is about to collapse. And as was mentioned, you know, we've got a major housing crisis. I mean, our homeless situation, especially here where where Jordan and I live, is like it's like apocalyptic at this point. I mean, we have we have we have homeless folks that are also, you know, being killed by climate change already happening right in front of our face and the media's entire focus is on a local election being a democrat versus republican and then some random lady who wants to solve problems well that doesn't seem very viable and it's like what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) that's exactly right Um, heather so like i was watching the weather channel the other day right and, you know, just, just for context for the audience, the channel that I'm watching, you know, this, these are not just anchors. These are people that are meteorologists. These are people that have, like, you know, backgrounds in atmospheric science. And what are they talking about over and over again? They're talking about the mansions in Montecito that have a little bit of mud in their driveways. And they're talking about a fucking $16 million mansion that's about to fall off the cliff in Dana Point. I'm like, these people are going to be fine. 
Like, mm-hmm. are you fucking kidding me? This is what we're focusing mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But and I think it, um, it, that, that. Sorry, Heather. Please go ahead. No, I was just, just I spot on to Audrey's point. Like for the last two weeks, I've just been thinking since we originally talked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, holy shit, this is constant propaganda, even at the local level. Mm-hmm. And but and I think that that's what make gains makes me a, a we call it in England like a half pint full person, half leader full. Uh, an optimist that actually when you sit down with ordinary people who might be Trump supporters or might be tempted to vote for the populist fascist right in Europe, when you actually sit down with them, you actually have more in common with them than the media would suggest. Their needs are pretty much the same as ours. They're worried about the bills at the end of the week, how they're going to pay the rent and the mortgage, how they're going to feed the kids, how they're going to worry or care after their old folk who have got dementia. You know, how are they going to get uh, out of their the dead end job that's that's meaning that they they've got burnout, you know, with that, or they're worried about the fact they haven't got a pension. I mean, their their concerns are the same all over the world, really. At least, uh, you know, uh, in, in much of uh, much of Europe and the U.S. And, and often, when you put to them the solutions like universal free healthcare, uh, or at least you explain it in a in a rational way, you don't maybe give it a label. You just explain how things could be. They agree with you, yeah, and, and I think that's that's the Audrey point. If we have a more moderate discourse and we get away, as Heather said, from this polarization, it, it doesn't mean we're any less radical because our solutions actually, you know, you call them radical. I, I I don't think universal free healthcare education, to be honest, is that radical or ending biodiversity. That's not radical, you know. The left policies are actually. I mean, this is the irony. We always say say this in Europe. The best people to sort out capitalism and late stage capitalism is basically the socialists have to sort out the mess that they've left behind. Yeah, we've got to fix the, the capitalist failures that we're inheriting. So I don't think our, our, our answers, our policies, our solutions are extreme at all. When you talk to people, I think they agree with us. It's just the labels we're given. The right are very good at labeling things, scaring people. You know, and at one point we haven't talked talk, talk about, but it's I think a real issue of concern to people is the gap between the rich and the poor. And the need to have uh, social justice based on a more progressive tax system, for example. The trouble is the way it's framed in the media that scares the shit out of people because they don't believe we're only going to tax the the top one percent or the top point one percent of the one percent, as Bernie Sanders would say. You know, they they fear we're coming for them. Uh, it's you know, and and, and we we we, all, we always lose that battle because we're just not very good at explaining what taxing the rich really means and we're talking about the billionaires now you know let's leave the millionaires that can be for our second term just go for the billionaires that would do me that could fund a lot of anti-poverty programs in the us how in terms of homelessness and the and the eu much of the world as well poverty could be eradicated by some very simple progressive tax measures on the super billionaires um that's not a scary thought to me or you, but many people are scared by that because of the way that the media frame it. And so the left's going to learn some tricks from the right as well. Doesn't mean we scare people, but I said we use the, the opposite to scaring, which is giving them hope through education. <laughs> That's boring, Mark. <laughs> I know, it's boring. I know solving problems is really boring, isn't it? People want uh, you know to be terrified about the apocalypse, the end of the world. Trump's second term, yeah, uh, it's because that's entertainment. That's entertainment, and that's what it, this is all about. We, you know, the left are basically, you know, the right are very good at entertainment. Uh, they want their news to be, uh, you know, to trigger people, to scare people. 
that that that's clickbait. Our boring social democratic socialist, let's all hug each other and make society better. Yeah, it's not very exciting, is it? Uh, except except I think it could be if we pitched it, we sold it in a more exciting way. Um, what you know? Why why is socialism on the left associated with boredom, Audra? As you say, it's a good. You know, it's, that's not just perception; that's a reality. I mean, a lot of, and, and maybe this is another point. It's a reality, but we do need a new generation, in my view, which is not why I'm not really going to go back into politics. Never say never, but a new generation of charismatic young leaders on the left, preferably female. Yeah, because we've had years of men. I think it's about time we had a few more women on the left. Uh, no disrespect to the Bernie Sanders and co in the US, who I think do a valiant job. But where are the young people? I mean, that's a challenge in Europe as much as it in the, is in the US. But it's a challenge for us all. Yeah, and my thoughts around that, it's all attached to the old world order. And I know I start to sound like a conspiracy theory myself, but there is like this working order of evil right now. And that working order is very much in charge of what's going on in the world. So, you know, Mark and I call it the blob and you have all of these like old reptilian brain systemic beliefs that are just super hard to break through and penetrate and break down and evolve and adapt and to become something else. So we're, we're up against that. And I really do think that beyond the millennials and younger, we're going to make some change and reformation that will be more sustainable for, for a better future. But in these coming 10 years, we really have to just allow a lot of what is dysfunctional to die out. And the yoga explanation of that is that you ignore what is dysfunctional and crazy. You need to bring it to light. You need to bring it to surface. You need to be able to call it out. That's dysfunctional. That's crazy. We're going to put it in a corner until it learns to behave better. We're going to keep it over there in observation. This is why we do meditation, right? It's the monkey mind. We're going to learn to control the monkey. So there is like, when I teach meditation, I'm teaching people how to manipulate and control their mind. It's mind control. You're just controlling your own mind, not somebody else's. It's brilliant. So this is the same thing that we have to do. This, this level of dysfunction that we've been operating at for quite some time, in my opinion, has, it's just part of the old world that just we keep picking up and we keep carrying on from one generation to the next. And that is programming trauma. And a lot of what we see, like the person that Donald Trump is, the person that Marjorie Taylor Greene is, these people are dysfunctional people at their core. They are poor examples of human beings. They should have never been in the position to be have given the limelight, to be have given the microphone. So if the four of us get together and just say, we're going to nominate a ham sandwich, here's some funding for that ham sandwich, ham sandwich 2024, I guarantee we can have a campaign. So it literally the, the power is to the people and we can really start to change something, but we have to start speaking rather insanely in order to get the attention that is needed to capture the attention of the people that are that are numb so well said so somebody mentioned um like what if we just stop going to work earlier i, I actually came across a second thought video about that and because that's a, something that i think about all the time like what if a significant portion of our population just literally stopped going to work 
Of, yeah. You know, of course, that would require vast mutual aid networks and the ability to support people. But it, it's not even thought about because mm. in the U.S. especially, there's something that I like to refer to as like fatalistic capitalism. That's where people like, you know, are intelligent and they recognize everything that's wrong with the system. But they've lived their lives to such a degree of privilege where they step back and analyze it and they're like, well, you know, my life can't get any better than this. I know that things suck out there for most people, and I'm, but I'm relatively okay. And, and you know, capitalism is just the best that we can do. So there's like, there's such a deep like psychological barrier that we have there, particularly in the U.S. So I'd mm-hmm. like to know, like, how do you guys think that we can overcome a barrier like that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it's a very um, a topical issue for me. I've been giving this a lot of thought. I mean, you know, what one point I make to a lot of people at the moment is it. I mean, how is it that we're now in 2024 and we still roughly do a nine to five work job, uh, five six days a week? We've been doing that since 1945, roughly in Europe. Yeah. I mean, how is that even possible that we still have the work same work routine despite all the technology? I mean, she. It's utter, utter madness, insanity, or just talked about insanity. That's insanity. But as you say, the real insane people are us lot for falling for it. Mm-hmm. But we've got to be on the treadmill every day, getting really tired and fatigued and burnt out. Not just every day, every week, every year, until we retire at 67 and then die. Yeah, and that's called life? No. I mean, and, and I think the left really have to start challenging the, the, the concept of work, why we work, why we live. Um, and life is, in my view, more than a, just about work. Work should not define you. Um, and we've got to take these people on. And it's, you know, it's a poison, toxic poison that we've all been, uh, we've, we, we've all been uh, affected by, not just in the US, in, in, in the EU as well, because we have this toxic work culture as well. But we have an answer now. It's called AI. Now, AI could go one of two ways. It could either feed the system and be run by the capitalists that make it even more toxic, or it could be run by the people, in which case, for God's sake, we will not need to go to work five days a week, six days a week, nine to five. Hurrah, yeah? It's fully automated luxury communism. Let's go. Exactly, yeah. Why, why don't we talk about that? Why isn't AI talked about? I mean, because it's, again, it's the way the AI debate is framed. Oh, my God, it might take your job away. No, no. It might take your job away, but it won't take the wealth away. If we have an equal share of the wealth that's generated by the new AI technology, you will not need to work five or six days a week. You will not need to have burnout. You'll not need to work till you're 67 and then drop dead. AI is a means of liberating us from uh, from the you know the the uh, the trauma that is everyday work for many many people. Uh, but just, we just you know the left. I, I rarely hear this debate from the left in Europe, let alone in the US. Uh, the, the, the work is a tyranny we should free ourselves from. But as, as you said, John, that's because a lot of people are, are on the left even are defined, particularly in politics, are defined by work. You know, work gives them their ego, their title, their position, their chauffeur car, uh, their pension. You know, um, it, it's a scary thought not to have the, uh, you know, the, the office where you've got staff that will do as you, as you tell them, you know, even on the left, that's the case in politics, in, in my experience, it, all too often, not all the time. Uh, but there are you know, plenty of left politics politicians that like the system as well. Um, so, yeah, I think and this, this is what socialism, social democracy should all be about. It, it's, it's that fundamental existential question. What is life all about? And it is not all about work. Yes. Hey, Mark, I want to ask you, what would you recommend from 
a civilian point of view to, um, in terms of protesting and resisting and what is actually impactful because you can do silent protest. Like I honestly think not going to work for one week out of the year and figuring out a kind of got milk style campaign with hidden meanings and cryptic messages and like a social media blackout. And is if you could communicate this just to like 1% of the world, it would make a big impact. Mm -hmm. No shopping, no shopping, no using Amazon, no using your subscription-based whatever for a month. I don't know. The, where the attack needs to happen, it's not necessarily to the governments. People need to start actually resisting the billionaires that we continue to give money to. You know, this is why I stopped buying Amazon in 2017. I just morally couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And there are alternatives. Like I don't even want to Google anymore because I just feel like I'm just giving my money away mm. to people who are not even grateful for it. Mm. So if, if there, when we as the user, as the lay person starts to want to activate and become more full of resistance, like where do you start? Do you start locally in your government office and your city official with your city officials? Do you start attending meetings? Do you start just rolling up to rallies, which I find completely useless? Um, you know, you don't want to just like, you want to be able to spend your your time wisely. Mm. What do you recommend? Yeah, well, wow, what a question, Audra. Uh, I wish I had a simple answer, but I mean, I, I, will, I will do my best to give you some answers based on my, my own humble experience um, and, and trying to see what the others uh, think. Um, I mean, I, just to give you the humble experience bit, I think uh, one is if you if you see injustice in your community, or as I saw it in my school for the first time, then you stand up, yeah, and you stand up and take responsibility because uh, no, you know, even if no one else stands up, you should be that that child in the class that stands up and says no, I, I you know, I'm not going to accept that and t and accept the consequences of that. Yeah, you might be a pariah, you may be bullied. Um, you may be set, uh, disciplined by the staff, or as I was by the head teacher, um, and it's it's a it's e it's an easy thing for me to say. It's not as, as Jordan said. It's not easy for everyone, people from minority communities, LGBTQIA plus, etc. You know, they can't. They've all got to make their own choice. But I think e even some people from some of those really vulnerable communities at in time at times in the past have taken a stand drawn a line in the sand and said no further and 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 put up with terrible consequences even given their lives to change society step by step um, and we've got to encourage I think our young people to do that um, that you know it's it's a horrible thing having to, to risk your so-called comfort safety life but that's how change uh, happens and uh, radical change in in, in in the world has really only happened by ordinary people willing to sacrifice their, 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 their what they have in life uh, and, and, and taking a stand. If it's against your municipality, your company, your school, your government, uh, do whatever little bit you, you can. And my, my view order is every little step, every little, even if those demos you go on that you think are a waste of time, I think they actually do work eventually if we keep doing them. That's the thing, like one protest is not gonna work. You just gotta keep protesting. Uh, but but the quid pro quo is like, yeah, you, you may have to pay a very high price to get 
to change the world. Um, and, and that's, that's I'm afraid, the history of working class struggle or women's emancipation or, or the black civil rights movement that uh, you have to pay a high price. But I think we, again, history teach people that capitalism has never given us anything, never. We've always had to fight for it. And I think that fight continues. Um, and uh, it's, again, it's a bit unfashionable now to say you've got to fight for your rights. Uh, but 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 you really do. Um, except we've got to use social media now. We've got to use modern communications. Like I said earlier, why can't we use emotion as well as the right rather than just using reason and facts? Again, I looked at Bernie Sanders' website tonight before I came on this uh, podcast to get a bit bit of inspiration. And I, I know Bernie. Okay, he to many people on the, on the left in, in the U.S. He's not on the left, but he's an iconic figure, and he's still a you know totemic figure. But you look through his website, it's basically just a list of demands, yeah? It's just a list of demands. There's no real emotion there. And I agree with everything he says, but he's not using modern communications or even ancient communications techniques, which is to have a balance of emotion and reason. Um, so that, that would be my answer, Audra, that we, we, we all, you change, each change the world by a single step. And then when you've done one step forward, you take another step forward, step by step. And then you grow in number. That phrase I made earlier, that phrase I used earlier, which a lot of people again very out of very much out of fashion. Solidarity, the fight, but let's fight together. Um, can't do it on your own on your on your computer in your bedroom. Uh, you can do a bit on your own, but start linking up with friends, with family, with your school friends, with your college mates, with your work colleagues. Trade unions, get involved in trade unions. I always tell that for people that are in the workplace that I've got a problem with my boss, I've got a problem with my company. Are you in a union? No, why Why would they help? Well, because they exist to help people in the workplace fight because they know the power of a union is you don't have to fight the battle on your own, collective action. Um, I mean, I know you know all this, Audra, but it's like, it's just a bit, I really Mark, think- Mark, I am so bored listening to you right now. I know, it's boring. <laughs> it is so boring. And this is how I know that you're able to do your job as a former politician, because you are boring as fuck to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they said the same thing about Gandhi. He was a really boring guy, yeah. 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 But in the end, he changed at least a lot of India. He got them free of the of British of colonialism. Yeah. Do, the, the struggle for freedom is sometimes quite boring, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I was talking about. You know, the pendulum is so much more exciting when we see it swinging from right to left mm. in a 360-degree mm. angle. Yeah. So I mean, if you could say we can solve all these problems by just banning the Mexicans, <laughs> or, we, or we can solve all these problems by just banning is, Islam in Europe, yeah, yeah. I, I would be much more popular and exciting, wouldn't I? I could say yeah, that. A simple solution just get rid of the black and Asians in Europe and we'll all be happy. I mean, you, now that's, the, that's the challenge, Roger, isn't it? The right have a monopoly of exciting, simplistic solutions, just like Hitler did in the 30s. Yeah. You know, if we got rid of those fucking Jews, wouldn't, and, and indeed yeah, the gays. That's also and the, the truth of capitalism. I want it more, I want it now, I want instant yeah, gratification. Yeah. And this is what the, the conservatives are actually pushing for. They're, they're pushing for this more self preservation, instant gratification, let's do, let's do that now. Mm -hmm. But the reality of that, it takes logic and time and a lot of mm. bureaucratic bullshit that is super boring in order to yeah, make yeah. legislation. So that's, that's why fascism is so appealing, you know, because yeah, it's instantaneous gratification. You know, you can get it all now. And uh, who, who wouldn't be want to become a fascist? Yeah. 
that you know we know what what we know the story we 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 we've seen the film we know what happens in 1930 to 1940 um but the point you make audrey is very very good you know that that that's why my generation of politicians has like failed because we are so fucking boring <laughs> um and we need to get charismatic emotional social justice warriors yeah. uh, to take on this fight uh, and i will do everything i can uh, I'll do my little bit to encourage those people to come forward uh, because you're right. We need we need to have it. You know, the left should be more exciting than the right because we can actually change the world for the better. Jordan, what would you recommend to be able to botch the U.S. election if we could live in that kind of world where we actually had our voice that mattered? What would you do? Like, I would abolish the EC. That would be my one thing. Just throw it away. It's not even needed. <laughs> I mean, if I had like a magic wand, yeah, I would abolish the duopoly. I would get rid of the two-party system. I think that has been so fucking destructive for yeah. so many different reasons. People are so stuck in that mindset, you know, right versus blue, um, you know, and even the concept that like the Democrats are, are left wing. Like if you if you if you look at this on an international scale, even Bernie Sanders would be like a, a centrist in most of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, if we were to abolish the two party system in the United States and we had mm. either multiple parties or no parties at all, and people started kind of evolving their thinking far beyond electoral politics, I think that would go a tremendous way in improving society here in the US. Mm. But, but, but Jordan, given that the gift of doing that is in the hands of these very same two parties that you are criticizing, um, again, I don't want to pour cold water over what is an inspirational, you know, inspiring idea, but how is that going to happen? I mean, is the, you know, give us some hope in Europe, yeah, that, um, I mean, what, one, one, you know, you told us earlier that Trump could, could well win. Of course, you know, that, that's going to scare the pants off of us for the next few months. Um, but, you know, almost does he have to win for the system to collapse so we can rebuild it? In my opinion, no. In my opinion, if Trump wins, uh, I mean, we have like a veneer of democracy, right? Like we, I, I don't think many of the institutions are legitimate. I don't even think this country is legitimate. But no, I think if, I think if Trump wins, that, that's it for the, for the U.S., I think, you know, he's going to seize power and I think it would be a full on dictatorship. Uh, I haven't uploaded this episode yet, but we, we, t we touched on um, Project 2025, which is the far right's, um, you know, outlining for completely reshaping the executive branch of the U.S. government and allowing the president, which would be Trump, to seek ultimate power and authority. So uh, I don't think anything would be the same after that and not for good. I think Project 2025, which I only just learned about recently, is something that ties into a Putin-esque presidency. So Putin is a dictator. We're just not allowed to use those terms. And he's yeah. been in power since the 90s. So basically, this is why Trump and Putin have this interesting relationship, because Trump is doing the same thing that Putin has done successfully already. Yeah, I mean, look, think about money in Russia, then you can just you can afford a better life. So it's it's kind of a way to ethnically cleanse a population as well. It's a way to reduce um, um, lesser silence opposition. Yeah, crush them by any yeah. means necessary. Yeah, um, but then, then from, from a European perspective, and I, I, no, no, no one wants war, and uh, you know the foundations of Europe were 
to avoid uh, a sec another Second World War or a civil war in, in Europe is, isn't, isn't the risk from what you're saying is that there'll be another American civil war. I'm afraid yeah. of one happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I already think it's been happening energetically and from the American abroad mm. perspective, like there was a full on civil war going on on Facebook and Twitter between 2016, if not even before the election up until, you know, 2020, 2021, it was mm. insane. Mm. The amount yeah. of hate that was spewed from both sides, mm. disinformation. And, you know, we always said if World War Three would ever come, it would come in the form of a techno war. We all know this to be true. And yes, we know that we do have atom bombs and nuclear bombs that can absolutely annihilate an entire country. Drones. Drones. And it, it, we're not even looking at a comparison of what we know to be war. Like we're already under a cyber attack by a lot of people. The seed of evil that has built has also allowed the black market and criminals to start to rise. We have a really very clear breakdown of people's mental stability and mental health because we've all lived in this like deep trauma state for these last four years like normal people that were okay and doing fine are no longer feeling normal anymore you know like everybody's mental health is at stake at, at this point so we start to this isn't just biodiversity collapse it's really like human civilization collapse so like I sound very doomsdayer here, but this is just the reality that we have to take into effect. There was a headline the other day where Amsterdam mayor is considering to legalize cocaine. And it's because it's a way to combat the amount of illegal cocaine that's mm -hmm. being strung the streets, mm -hmm. right? We're to the point now where we are having to negotiate with drug lords and criminals so much i mean the america's fentanyl problem is due to china like we all know this right now we can't just talk about it so the, the civil cartel very, violence yeah oh gosh i mean you know and this this is it the world war has already begun we just now need to start talking about a more rational way to... The, 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 the only problem, Audra, and you may well be right, uh, is that is what also what the, is the right-wing narrative as well, that they want us to be so terrified of what's going to happen, the apocalypse, the tyranny, the totalitarian dictatorship that will follow Trump, that people just give up. I mean, they want, they want us just to give in and accept, uh, 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 you know, the inevitable demise of democracy in the US and in the free world. Of what's left of it anyway and i know you, know, you made the point that maybe we're not as free as as they tell us uh but it's better than it was <laughs> um you know and, and that that i guess drives me i'm not prepared to go down that right-wing narrative and i will fight it every day i can uh and not give in to that you know you may be right older i'm not saying you're not right but you don't go down without a fight and yeah, i think yeah, they yeah. And, they're, they're, and I think they're underestimating yeah. underestimating the the the, the, the fight that are, there is in ordinary people, ordinary working people, because we're better equipped than ever before. Because we know we've seen the the film of what happened. I mean, what you're describing about Trump, his playbook is not just Putin. It's exactly what happened in Hitler in Hitler in the 1930s. I mean, he won an election. Essentially, he was giving presidential powers. There, there was a decree by Hindenburg that basically let him do what he wanted for four years. That was the deal. Um, the rest is history, yeah? Yeah, and what preceded that, too, the beer hall push. 
Yeah, exactly. And you've done that. You've got that bit. And then the you all you've got to have now, of course, is the fire at the White House. Yeah, uh, or on Capitol Hill. You know, I mean, this is a prediction. There's going to be a fire, and they'll say, "Oh my, oh my God, we'll have to sign some emergency decree because they discovered a social democrat caused the fire." So we've got to round up the social democrats. You know, and we we know the story. So that's the thing. We know our history now, and we're not prepared to see it happen again. I mean, and, and, and we joke about it, but at that in Europe, at least, really fires us up because we're we're really not going to allow the Nazis to come back in Europe. We're really not, because this time we're going to fight them, we're, and we're going to fight them from day one. I mean, last time I think we, you know, the left was divided. It was weak. It was, in my view, too pacifist. We weren't. We we actually did not want to fight. Yeah, and I, I respect pacifism. But I think the world is now too dangerous a place. We have to fight for democracy and for the values that we believe in. Oh, you guys, we're all so cute. We've just we've just formed our little alliance here and we're ready to save the war the world, but <laughs> Well, I was thinking about um ecofascism too. I don't know how in tune you guys are with uh, the Stop Cop City movement here in the US, but over in the Netherlands, there was, you know, suppression methods for, um, you know, pro-climate protesters. They released water cannons onto them, which is exactly what they did during the civil rights movement. And then here in the United States, there was an activist in the uh, Walani Forest in it, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. You know, it's, a, it's on indigenous land, Muscogee land. He was murdered by the police, by Atlanta police a year ago. He's Tortuguita. He was an indigenous activist. He was shot over 50 times. And now, um, you know, in the in the year that has preceded that, there have been a number of activists that have been rounded up by police. And, and it's not even just state police at this point. The FBI is also involved, which is a dramatic escalation because now you have federal police that are also involved. And they're just raiding people's homes. Um, in one case, a woman was dragged out by her hair. And then she was thrown into prison. And these are just brutal suppression methods that are being enacted by the state in order to crush people. So as you said earlier, Mark, um, people are going to have to be willing to risk a lot. And in, unfortunately, in some cases, their lives. Mm, yeah. And and that's happened in the, in, uh, the UK, fighting against pr police brutality, you know, even on that issue, not just fighting against, you know, fighting against climate change, but just fight, ironically, fighting against police brutality, organizing demonstrations against a woman that was murdered by a police officer. These women then get arrested and harassed by the police, yeah? Um, and then there's new laws instituted in the UK and some other countries to basically ban protests that they consider to be unjustified. Yeah, and, and the, these are, you know, and, and, and uh, people fighting against climate change are amongst the people that are now regularly prevented from uh, disrupting. So there's the stop oil movement in the UK. I don't always agree with their tactics. I don't see the point of throwing paint against the Van Gogh picture, for example. I, you know, I don't, so I don't, I don't approve their tactics, but that's not the point. We live in a free society yeah, yeah, yeah. and protest is part of that. And yeah, uh, remember you know, that there's all the greenwashing, the climate change facade, that it's just a distraction, right? The fact that we've just built all these wind turbines in the last 20 years and they're just not even being used properly. People have solar panels now installed on their house over here in Holland. If you generate too much energy, you actually have to pay the government back the money that you spent on your solar paneling. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of technology that we don't have 
working for us to mm -hmm. give us the right mm -hmm. information to educate. recycling campaigns completely useless unless they're actually filtered through the right source i mean it's you guys it's just it's so hard to um start to and, make an impact anywhere yeah and they're, they're, they're double standards so uh, whilst the left and social uh eco activists are often arrested and their protests are banned we, we we had and we still have very big demonstrations in Europe by farmers bring their tractors into cities, grind them to a halt, and the police are nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, these demonstrations are tolerated, and and that that again is just not acceptable. But that that's 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 the reality. Because what do the farmers want? They want to roll back the eco uh, sustainable reforms that have been introduced, or the bans on pesticides. They want to use pesticides again. But again, I mean, to be fair to the farmers, they're also the victims of a capitalist system that doesn't work, you know, and the, the solution for that for them is the same solution. The rest of us is we need to change the system and get around a table, have a discussion with them and build an alliance with them and tax uh, and, the fucking billionaires and tax the fucking billionaires. Yeah, um, I just had one more point that I wanted to make. Uh, I remember what I wanted to talk about with socialism and taxes earlier. So in the United States, people effectively with their jobs, just based on the cost of living, you know, will pay like 50% taxes. So, but, but here in the United States, everything's out of pocket. So it's not like in the case in Europe, right? Where people are paying really high taxes, but people are just fucking taken care of. So yeah. it's, and, and, and if we were able to just shift the tax system to where we're taxing the rich and only the mega rich, you know? No working class people are getting taxed at all with their income and property taxes, etc. That would be such a paradigm shift in the minds of the right in viewing um, socialism and even just leftist politics mm. in such a more positive light. Yeah. Well, again, an inspiring, brilliant, simple idea that we should have the courage of our convictions to, to have a progressive tax system that lowers the tax burden on the rich, particularly the super rich. And we are the party of the low tax for the low paid and the middle classes yeah, yeah. And, and even many of the middle classes probably could if you were if you do the math would have their tax burden reduced if the super billionaires were taxed properly yeah and, and why doesn't the left advocate you know yeah. for, 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 for a progressive tax system uh but it's like it's as you say it's it's got to be two ends of the spectrum you've got to tax heavily the super rich but you've got to lift the burden um on those that are currently paying too much tax because you've got to like i said earlier you've got to reassure the middle classes and the working classes we're not going to screw them too because that's their fear that's what the right say we're just going to be the party of taxation the left is just about increasing everyone's tax burden that is not socialism um uh which is all about from from uh uh from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs yeah if you're not able to pay tax you should have a reduced tax burden and as you say, many Americans are struggling to pay tax already. Um, again, I, it's like, I know it's not, it's probably boring order, but it's, it's like the ABC of common sense socialism, isn't it? Mm -hmm. but we are the, almost, why can't we frame ourselves as, we're, we're the low tax party actually. We just want to put the tax burden on the super rich so the rest of us pay less or no tax. I do think that there will be a future that could be possible where people want an anti-government lifestyle. And these are the people that are going to live off the grid, that are fully sustainable. Like we're talking the Amish. We're talking... Um, Indigenous. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think there's going to be a rise to having more of these civilizations operating in a tribal sense of moneyless society, UBI infused. So even digital nomads, even digital nomads that just want to live a life wherever they want in the world without and provide a service to their fellow citizens. You know, why is it so difficult to go and live in a different country and, and do your job from a desktop when you so want to do it? You had the UN 2030 agenda, and that was being reported on since like 2015, right? So, and this was like where we're going and where we're supposed to be. And then COVID happened, and then they tried to reinvent it. But what happened is a bunch of the conspiracy theorists got on top of it and said, no, this is part of everybody. You know, it's the pandemic. <laughs> this is population control. And that there's a part of that that I think is, is also a part of truth. But at the same time, if we can, if we're trying to move more into this internationalistic way to live, we have to also recognize there's a lot of people that don't want to live that way. So the opposition of that. Actually, yeah, the vast be, majority. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, the, yeah, there's a lot. Be, it's not compulsory, though. You don't have to drop off the Greek. It's not going to be a compulsory. Are you? It's about, I mean, again, a lot of, it's funny, the, the left are often, we're more the advocates of individual freedom than the right. Yeah, we want individuals to be able to choose their own path in life and have their real choices. Somehow the, the right are monopolized. They're, they're the freedom but people. It's just it. The far right are now the ones with the voices that are saying they don't want the government. Mm, mm, it's yeah. only people that are progressive and left-leaning that are wanting mm. more power and more uh, wanting to give more authority to the government because they're just wanting them to do the administration and handle the bureaucracy. Well, the far right is fine with the government as long as it's oppressing the left. Yeah, and as long as they run it through a dictatorship, yeah. Yes. And no, and no elections or just, a, you know. But okay, then don't take the far right. You still just take the right, the more centrist approach. These people are also not wanting a lot of governmental control. Those are the Based people on... that we should work with. Yeah. yeah. This is who we have to sway ahead of the this next election, right? Because these are a lot of my friends that are in Missouri that came out of Trumpism and now they're like, okay, no, I can't vote for Trump because I know what that means. But this is how I felt when I voted for Biden. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to vote for Biden. God, it's just more of the same. It's, you know, why are we electing 80-year-old fucking dinosaurs to run our country? And right. and I like Bernie, but I would have never voted for him. He's too old and he doesn't have enough public backing. So it's, it, you know, we do need this like wild card candidate that can come through and break through the two party system and show that an independent party mm. could actually be a thing. if like anyone, Joe Schmo off the streets just rolled up and started to run as an independent. As so so, what, so when are you going to launch your campaign, Audra? When are you going to launch yes. your campaign? Oh, darling, you know that I don't want to actually run. I just want to marry somebody who's made <laughs> who's a politician. We've talked about this. You're, you're too <laughs> modest. Well, you guys have been awesome. That's all I have for time. So before we wrap up, can both of you just shout out how to find yourselves on social media, uh, the work that you have going on right now, and anything else that you want to share? We'll start with you, Audra. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's my spotlighting moment. <laughs> okay. So I am teaching yoga. Yes, I do that. And I teach meditation. And I do that for a lot of rookies and, and beginners. So I kind of work as the gateway yoga instructor, bringing people 
um, into the practice because I'm teaching yoga specifically for burnout system, uh, burnout symptoms and restorative practices. So um, when I'm not doing that, I'm writing and I'm over on Substack and I have my publications live and launched where I'm talking about the social experiment, for instance. And that is my writing project that I have live going on for 2024, where we are discussing how to reform social media. So it's not about dismantling social media. It's about reforming it. And there is a part that has to do with taking down Meta and X platforms because these people have personally offended me and their shareholders. So that's where you can find me. And I have my own website and all of my details are linked mm -hmm. in the socials. I'm all over social media. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And I'll put everything in the in the link as well in the description. Super. I'll do and, that. Um, and 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 I'm 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 trying to radicalize LinkedIn. Uh, that's my platform of choice. I try and keep away from the, many social media platforms as I possibly can. So I just about cope with LinkedIn. I'm trying to do two things. I make it more political. Um, and secondly, make it funnier, which is the second one is quite hard. But you, so you'll find me on LinkedIn, where I occasionally post political posts. And there's a few there, few people there that join me too, because I make the point that business is politics, politics is business. Yeah, you can't separate the two. Yeah. Um, and and just if we want a conversation with the right, we have to have a conversation with with businesses as well, because in a decent society, businesses will do better too. Yeah. Uh, like I said, particularly community-owned, socially-owned businesses. Uh, or businesses that just treat their staff in a decent way are the best businesses and, and do better all around. Yeah. So trying to make those messages on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, join me there. Join the conversation. Thanks so much, Mark. Uh, it's been a treat talking to both of you. Uh, as always, the 805 Uncensored is on all the major podcasting and social media platforms. If you have any comments, questions, guest suggestions, please uh, shoot us an email, 805uncensored at gmail.com. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good night, morning, evening, wherever you're listening in the world. Stay safe out there. Free Palestine and depression.